we're going to kind of get back to, to the place that we're at right here, right now, at the end of the message. Just kind of in God's love here. Whew. I'm excited about what the Lord is going to do in us today. So he's been stirring my heart for like weeks uh, and, and I'm excited to finally share. And I'm going to, I'm going to just start the message with a vision that I shared a year ago, um, as I usually do when I preach, cause I think it's important because I think it's who we are. And, uh, it's, it's the, the vision of circles, lines, and tents. So some of you might've never heard this. So I'm just going to recap it real quick. Um, so I don't even know how many years ago, 10 ish years ago, uh, I, I, somebody prayed for me and I was just, uh, you know, when you're just overcome by the Holy spirit and I was just kind of just laying on the floor and it was like, I, I saw this, this moving picture. All right. In, in my mind. And, uh, and it was a picture of uh, John and I were standing up on this hill with, with some other people beside us and we were really big and tall. And I was looking down and there was like an army, like a, an army camp down in, in this kind of valley. And, uh, and there was a, a big fire right in front in between us and, and, uh, and all the people. And what, and it was just like systematic. It would happen. Like all these people, they would come together and there would be lines. They would just like, you know, like think like, uh, you know, like the lines, is it Lord of the Rings? You know, like where they're like, yeah. Bethany will let me know, uh, you know, but you know where they're just like, you know, it's like, uh, so they would come in, they would just be like in this line with this massive fire in front of them. And then it would shift and, and they would all be like in these circles and there would be a fire in the middle of them. And then they would all be like, it it would be even more uh, spread out into these tents. And you could see from where I was standing, uh, the flicker of fire that was in that tent. And, um, and, and that's what I saw. And it was just over and over, just like systematically lines, circles, tents, lines, circles, tents. And then I noticed as I looked a little closer, uh, that there was these people coming out of the darkness. Cause like the only thing that was illuminating this camp were these fires. And then I would see these people coming out of the darkness on the sides and they were so tired and worn and weary and, and, and people, our people, our soldiers, they would just like take them in and they would bring them into their tent next to the fire, or they would, they would bring them into the circle next to the fire, or they would gather them in the line. Usually they would, they would join a tent or a circle and then come to the line after they had been, been there by that fire. And I, that's what I saw. And you're like, great. God, that is so awesome. And, you know, I saw that vision and I don't even know that I told anybody about it, but I thought that's, that's probably important. You're probably trying to tell me something. And then like five years later, I was like praying, Oh God, give me a vision for the church. And I saw the same thing. And I was like, I don't even know what this means. (laughs) And anytime I've asked Lord, Show us, show us what we're supposed to be doing. Show us what our model of church looks like. It circles, lines, and tents. Every time I, I can't even like try to pretend like I'm making something else up. And, and I realized what, what, what we're called to do as believers and as living way church, the lines represent a Sunday morning gathering. Here we sit in lines 
The circles are small groups, gatherings, uh, like our Wednesday nights, your four by fours, your small whatever. And then your tent is your home. And the key to this is that every element had the fire, which represents the presence of God. So we were hosting the presence. It was, it was about the presence. That was like the forefront and the focus of everything. It was in the front of the lines. It was in the middle of the circle. It was inside the tent. And we, as the children of God, are called to live in a way where we're hosting his presence and it's becoming the most important thing around us all the time that we are aware of it in all of our gatherings and in our home. You know, that's really easy in a line. It's really easy on Sunday mornings to come in and be really aware of God's presence and to praise him and to worship him. But, you know, my heart's cry is to see wholeness in our tents, in our homes, in our families, that we take that presence into our marriages, into our parenting, into, into the place where it's the hardest. You, you get me? I mean, you think about your life. Where is it hardest to live for Jesus and have him be permeating you and have his kingdom be dominating? It's in your home with all the people who know the, all the things. And that's what I saw. And that's what we're living for, man. So anything we're doing is for the circle, the line or the tent. I want to see families brought to wholeness. I want to see small groups thriving because the kingdom of God is manifesting there in amazing ways. And we want to worship fully aware of God's presence, giving him all the honor and all the glory and experiencing his presence. And so recently, um, I was, I was kind of seeing, so now anytime the Lord is speaking to me about our church is always in this context. I I'm, I'm a slow learner, but I'm figuring it out. Uh, and so I saw, I saw this whole thing uh, of, of all the people, all the soldiers, but something caught my attention. I saw that there were crowns being passed out to every person. Like I was standing up on the hill and there's, there's crowns being passed out, which I'm good with. I like that. Um, but I, but I, I just, I, I began to just question the Lord. Like, so what are you doing here in this? And I, this is what I heard him say. I'm healing the orphan spirit and calling you to sonship. To your royal identity. Can we just let it sink in a second? I am healing the orphan spirit and calling you to sonship, to your royal identity. Because that's the only way that circles, lines, and tents really works. And so I began just thinking about this. And I thought, that's so true. Something has to happen in us if we're going to host his presence well in every area of our lives. And so first I was like, God, what's the orphan spirit? I mean, like, can we talk about that a little bit? And here's what it is. It's a fancy term, I guess, but it refers to a spiritual condition where a person lacks emotional identity and seeks to earn 
their identity through their own efforts. All right? It's people who profess to know God, but deep down inside, they're not sure that he really loves them. And they're convinced that that love is not free for sure. The lives of someone who are living with this orphan mentality or the orphan spirit, their lives are going to be marked by frustration, irritation, competition, and comparison with everyone around them. Jealousy, striving, always working hard to earn something, anxiety, defensiveness. They're the people who will pull back and be in isolation if a problem comes or really anything. They would just prefer to handle it on their own, completely independent. You see why this would affect a circle? Because if somebody pulls out, then it's not a circle anymore. Those are the things, and and it can look so many different ways, but really, it's like the birth of that orphan spirit happened immediately at the fall. Because there's this sense that God has abandoned us. The mentality of, I have worked so hard for God, and this is how you're repaying me in my life right now? That is an orphan spirit thinking. That is not the kingdom of God. So you see it from the very beginning of our Bible when uh, Cain murders Abel because God did not accept his sacrifice. It's the orphan spirit because he didn't know God. He's looking at God thinking he's turned his back on me. That sense of abandonment drove him to murder. You can see it in the story of the prodigal sons because both sons have orphan thinking. If you're not familiar with the story, it's a story Jesus told. There's a, there's a father and he has two sons. And one son comes to him, the younger son, and he says, Hey, Dad, I want to go ahead and get all of my inheritance now. And I'm going to be leaving. And the dad says, Okay. So, number one, if he wasn't orphan thinking, then he wouldn't have even asked for this. All right. He goes, he squanders all his wealth and then he tries in his best effort to provide for himself after everything is gone. And finally he comes back home. Now the father is excited and he's waiting for him watching all the time. Is my son returning? And he sees him far off and he runs to him and he gives him his cloak and his ring. And he's like, we're going to have a party. And he's telling people, get the fattened calf for my son was lost. And now he's returned and they're having this party. The older son hears, here's this commotion. He's like, what's going on? And one of the servants said, your younger brother has returned. So we're throwing a party. And he says, he won't, he won't even go into the party. He stays out after everything. I've, I've worked hard. I've done everything and I don't get, I don't get to have a party with my friends, but this son of yours who squanders everything, he comes back home and you're just going to lavish him with everything. Do you see that's orphan thinking because the older son had just been working for his father's love, just working, working, working. And then when his younger brother comes back, it's like all about this jealousy and comparison and saying, I'm not going to be a part of that. I'm going to isolate myself because this is wrong because it feels wrong. So it can look all different ways. You know, sometimes it's like really obvious, like you're like, yeah, Cain, you know, good example. He murdered somebody. 
Sometimes we like feel a little righteous about the older brother. Like some of you are getting offended that I'm telling you the older brother's thinking with an orphan spirit. Because it's a little subtle, but it's there. And this is not God's plan. It's not. That's not God's plan for his kids to live in this way. His word says, if you want to turn, you can. Uh, It's Romans 8. You should just really read all of Romans 8 today when you go home. It's so good. Romans 8.15. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. But you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And now if we are his children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So God is calling us his kids. He's saying, I have given you a spirit of adoption that you don't have to be a slave to fear again. I've, I've rescued you from that. And I, I love this because, you know, I think about adoption. I'm like, oh, that just makes my heart all happy uh, to think about God adopting us. You guys, I was totally wrecked yesterday. I spent like an hour and a half researching the Ro- ancient Roman adoption customs, and they blow my mind because they're not like ours. Can I share some things with you? Okay, so the reason that I even looked at this, all right, is because it's Romans, Paul is writing to the Romans. Paul is Roman. He, this, this is his culture. So he is, when he's using the adoption, he's not thinking of the people in 2017 in the United States of America. He is writing from his current culture and what this means. Adoption was to preserve a family. So usually... The person being adopted was an older, established boy who still had both parents. But what they would do is they needed to make sure that there was, there was a, a young man who could carry on the duties of their household. Some people even talk about needing someone to be like, like a priest because the Romans were kind of built on this worshiping family. Now, they weren't always worshiping the right God, but they, they did this, this thing. So it was usually an older boy, and it was to preserve the family. So the adoptee, the person being adopted, once they were adopted, they received a new identity. So all of their old obligations, their debts, and everything associated with their old identity was wiped out, and the new ones were assumed immediately. They were put in standing as if they were the exact same person that was adopting them. Best example, Augustus, the Roman Empire, the Roman emperor was adopted. Who knew? And then there's a matter of inheritance. All children of any age, according to their law, were already heirs with the father living and had joint control of all of the property and money. So birth 
not death, constituted heirship. Because when we think of being God's heirs, I think God needs to die so that I can take over, right? Because that's how it works here. Not in Roman customs. You were considered an heir the moment you were born. So it was birth, not death, that constituted heirship. The family of the adopting child knew exactly what they were getting, right? Because they could look for the person that they wanted. It wasn't just like, sign me up for a baby. We want one. We will love anything we get. No, it's like, I'm going to scout this. I'm going to look. And they knew exactly what they were getting. And the Roman law forbid that any adopted child be disowned. This was a permanent placement. In fact, it would go so far to say that the adopted child had a more secure place in the family than that who was birthed into the family. Because the child that was birthed into their family, according to Roman law, you didn't know what you were getting. So they could be cast out of the family, but an adopted son could never be removed as long as he was living. It was permanent. So when you think, this is all just ancient Roman law, according to adoption, you think about this with this scripture that says, no, you've received a spirit of adoption. Can you let that sink into your spirit for a minute? I mean, it's powerful when we think of it in adoption here in the United States, but this is like, whoa, you realize what Paul is saying here, the, the weight of it. This was no light matter. So God adopts us not because we're unworthy, but because we are. And he brings us into a new social standing, wealth and power. It is the kingdom of God. So when we are adopted into his kingdom, everything about us is wiped away. And now we are considered as if we were had all of the benefits of him. That means every resource of heaven is yours. It means that your standing is now as a citizen of heaven. It means that the power that you have is the same power that God has. Does this not blow your mind? This, I mean, this is the gospel. I mean, mm. I will cry. I've cried. I've cried over the gospel for the last like three days. You guys, do you understand how radical the love of God is that because of his fiery love for us, for the world, for the people, all the people for black lives and blue lives and white people and crooked people and religious people and atheist people, poor, rich, political people, the left, the right, all of the people, all of the people, his great love for all of those people moved him to put in place the most radical unimaginable plan that has ever been seen. He sent his only son, the God of heaven sent his only son that whoever all the people 
believed in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Hmm. It is God's heart that no one should perish. And when it becomes ours, when we begin to wish that people on this planet would perish, we have lost the gospel. We have lost the gospel message. We have watered it down. We have made it diluted when we make it fit into our prejudice thinking. When we have to make it work with our agenda. Fill in the blank. Hello? How many agendas do we have going in this world? I'm telling you. This is huge. Do you understand that when we read about the hate and the racism, when I wish that those people would perish, I've lost the power of the gospel in my heart because God is crying out for them. He died for the suicide bombers. He died for those racist bigots who are leading ridiculous things in our nation. He died for them because of his great love. And that goes against everything in our fiber, in our being, because we want to, to make it okay that those people are terrible. And we want to say, yeah, they should just all go to hell, but they shouldn't. God's value on every single life is the blood of his son. I mean... We've got to be reminded about this. We've got to live for this. This is the gospel. And not only was it worth the blood of his son, he was saying, I will adopt you into my family and make it permanent and give you all of my rights, all of my authority, all of my resources and say everything you've been to this point is wiped out. And heaven is just like, the icing on the cake. Because the gospel was never meant to just be about getting people to heaven. Oh, we, we can't water down the gospel anymore. I can't. I can't do it. Because those who have received the Father's love and walk in their identity, they walk in a spirit of sonship. They don't think that way. They walk with the power of the gospel message living in them and flowing out of them to every person they come into contact with. Someone who has a spirit of adoption, they live by value and honor everywhere to every human. Can I remind you that humans are not the enemy? They live by value and honor. They never compare. They always are willing to support other people. It's not about how much they can do or how good they can look. It's about giving your support to those around you and feeling great about it. Here's the deal. The people with the spirit of adoption never have it hiding in the back of their mind. Like, man, John is so amazing and he's such a great preacher, but I really hope he messes up because I want people to think I'm the best preacher. That's not the spirit of adoption. That's the orphan spirit. The spirit of adoption says, 
John is called and I'm going to do everything in my power to see this man fulfill everything that God has called him to. And I'm going to be the biggest cheerleader on the front row going, yeah, buddy. That's what a spirit of adoption looks like because it doesn't matter because you are fully secure in the love of the father. You remember who you are in the kingdom. And whatever that is, is enough. This is the kind of Christians the world needs to see. You know, they know how to live as orphans. (laughs) They are. They haven't. They haven't gotten to experience the spirit of adoption by their heavenly father yet. And how are they going to be brought in if all of us are living like orphans with them? That's part of the problem. That's part. I don't know where we lost it, but the church somewhere along the way, not everybody, but there's a group of people who made a big enough stink that made us look really stupid. It's as we live with the spirit of adoption and sonship, secure in our identity in the kingdom that we will draw people in. We will point them towards our father because every single person on this planet is crying out for a love that is real. They want to understand what security is. There is a deep yearning in them. We have to be the ones who are willing to show them the kingdom. We have to reset our minds sometimes. We have to understand that we are the children of God. And what that really means. We can say it all day long. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian and I'm a, I'm a king's kid or I belong, you know, whatever, however you want to do it. A princess, royalty, whatever it is. But man, we better live like it. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. But you received the spirit of sonship, a spirit of adoption. And by him we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. You have not been given a spirit that makes you a slave to fear again. We all know what that means. We've all been there. We know what it means to live out of a spirit of fear God is saying, you have not received that spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. You have received a spirit of adoption, a permanent place in the kingdom of God where you've been granted all authority and all power
So I want us to respond. As I've been just kind of researching this and reading through scripture and all different stuff, I thought, you know, it'd be great to just have everybody stand. And because this thing is a spirit, we're just going to say, I cast you out in the name of Jesus. (laughs) Done. Right? Use the authority that we've been given. Here's what I'm, here's what I'm deciding based on all of these things that I'm reading is that the orphan spirit can't be cast out. It must be healed. It must be healed. And it says that perfect love casts out fear. And I think that sometimes, man, if you're going, I feel like I live with that orphan thing that you're talking about. Man, you need, you need a love encounter with God. You need to experience God's love for what it truly is. Not because the preacher is standing up here and saying God loves you, but because you experience the love of God and you know. I mean, if I said, who in here believes that God loves you? Everybody's going to raise their hand, right? Because we all know God loves you. There's a difference between knowing and knowing. Example, I always knew that Disneyland is fun. That Disneyland is supposed to be the most magical place on earth, right? We all know these things. And uh, I got to go when I was like 21 with a, with a group of ladies. We went to a conference and um, I begged my father-in-law and used all of my power to have him say, yes, you can stay for two days and go to Disneyland. And, uh, and so we went. And um, then when I went to Disneyland, I knew that it was fun and magical. Because I was there experiencing it. Do you see the difference? So if you, if you just know that God loves you, but you don't know because you haven't stepped into it and experienced it and have it washed over you in waves where you go, there is nothing on this planet that I could do to ever earn this because you are so big and wow. Then that's not, that's the difference experience knowing and just knowing because we know that because we've read it in our Bible or we've heard somebody talk about it. And so I want us to, to just respond. So some of you, some of you maybe just need that healed in your heart. Like you've never broken free from an orphan mentality. Like you've just lived your whole life. You might've been a Christian for 50 years and you've never been freed from this. That's okay because now you know, and God can heal it. So like no judgment here. All right. Listen, I felt like yesterday in my office, I was like having a heart to heart with Jesus. Like, Hmm, maybe you should wash over my mind again. Cause I don't want to have any trace of that thing in me. So some of you might just say, I've experienced that, but I feel like I've slipped into like orphan thinking. Like I've been thinking that way recently because I just haven't been focused on the kingdom of God and sonship and who I really am. I haven't been content in that. I've been looking at other things. So some of you, it might just be like, this is blowing your mind and first time ever. And you're like, I need a love encounter. And some of you might just be like, whoa, good reminder. I'm there. I need that too. 
And so we're going to play a song called No Longer Slaves. And I just want people to come up to the front because I think it's important to just respond in a different way than just sitting for this particular message. Um, I want you to just come to the front. And I believe that as you do that, that is just stepping out in faith saying, God, (laughs) heal that in me. And do you know that that is his heart for you? That he's not being like, finally, or, you know, like, it's about time. God is just like, yes! Live in your sonship, your daughtership. Live as an heir. Let me put that crown on you and wipe away the cloud of terrible thinking so that you can reign in the kingdom of God, not just like survive. That will change your life. It will change your tent. It will change your circles. It will change the way you worship. It will change everything because if you live from that with a crown on as the reminder of this is who we are, you will be transformed. So dad, if you'll play that guys in the sound booth, you can hit play and come down if you need to, but just come up. I might pray over some of you, but this is just going to be like you stepping out to say, I need to meet with you, God. And I believe he's going to show up. You unravel me with a melody. melody. You can stay here as long as you want. You can leave if you're ready. But when you leave this place, go with the spirit of adoption. Knowing who you are in the kingdom. Full of confidence, accessing every resource that you've been giving and all of the authority of heaven. Because that's who you are. In First John it says, For God loved us so much that he, he called us his sons and daughters. And that is who we are. Walk out secure in his love. You can stay and just bask up here. If God's moving in you, just stay. But be released. Feel free to to just go home. Ponder these things in your heart. Press into the Lord. Watch how he transforms your thinking and your heart. Amen? Amen.